unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my sick we're praying for. Irene Baker, who's Melinda Hester's mother, she has terminal cancer. So does John Dryden. And also, we want to keep Sandy Bottom in our prayers. All of them, we're just praying for their comfort. Martha Eaton's been experiencing pain in her foot. That's the Action on that's going to depend on her getting her thyroid under control, so we're praying that that goes well. Austin Wentz is still taking treatments, but he's doing great. Joan is here. She's still recovering from her shoulder injury. Brian Rowland's recovering from his foot surgery. Sue Mason's brother, Ricky, he's doing, doing good. You want us to take him off the list? <laughs> okay. Eddie Smith is Keith. Freeze, his father-in-law, uh, he's been recovering from broken hip and surgery. Quitman Wigginton, we saw him on Sunday at Landmark. He's, he's doing well. Philip Coates is doing great. I think maybe he's been released from the doctor. Larry Wallace, 
is at Vanderbilt with infection on the spine and some kidney problems related to treatment. Terry Green, who's Ricky's brother, he is going to start on Monday for eight consecutive weeks receiving chemo treatments, and we're praying that that goes well so that he can have the surgery that he needs. Verlin Davis has Alzheimer's. Geraldine Taylor, who's Chopper's mother, she was also at Landmark on Sunday, and she seems to be doing well. Uh, both, Both her and Quitman are there for rehab. David Yates is here tonight, and he has been having uh, lots of issues, but right now we're thinking about the the liver problems he's been having and possibly looking at a liver transplant. Yes. Oh, yes, you're very welcome. We've been praying for you for a long time. Isn't that right? Yes, we have. Flora Warner, how's her blood pressure issues? Okay, good. And what about Donnie? <laughs> okay, uh, Donnie had hip replacement surgery, so he's doing, doing well. Uh, we have Pat Poff, who's uh, had some heart rate issues, Ann Stevens having some health problems. Jeff Goff had broken his back, uh, so we pray that's, that's going well. Stella Pittman is at the Meadows, making her adjustments in living there. Jenny Martin's in critical care. Has that changed? Anybody know? She did? Okay, sorry about that. Uh, Jenny Martin passed away. Uh, What about Bobby Davis? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll definitely remember Bobby Davis. He's got a 90% blockage and sounds like they've not been successful with several procedures to try and get that taken care of. Connie Edge is recovering from knee surgery at home. Jen Sloan, who's a friend of Joanne Roberts, she has stage four cancer. She did. I'm sorry to hear about that. Jan Sloan passed away. Marilyn Wilson had emergency back surgery today. So we pray that was a success and she does well. Uh, some of you may know Al Behel. Uh, he's been a preacher at the Great Smoky Mountains Church for a long time. But he recently had a stroke, and he never regained consciousness from that. He's been on a ventilator, and the family is most likely going to be taking him off that ventilator tomorrow. So remember his family and uh, the church there. Yes, sir, that's what I understand. Uh, 80 years old something, yeah. Uh, Milton Floyd is going to be having a procedure on his leg on Friday in Corinth, and he'd appreciate you remembering him in your prayers too. And then also, you know, that conflict in Ukraine, um, just pray that is over very soon. Anybody else? It's a long list, isn't it?
I try to be as comprehensive as I can be, but that's just a lot of sick people. Pardon? Okay, Katie Jo Lindley with cancer. I did, yes, sir. Okay, that's great. Absolutely, absolutely. So, hey, it's always great to hear people that are doing better. Yes, that's why we're praying for them, isn't it? Prayers work. Okay. Of course, we always, you know, we have that caveat, the Lord's will. So, if it doesn't turn out like we asked, we're still happy. We're content, right? I am. I trust God no matter what. Okay, let's sing a song, then we'll have a prayer together to talk about these, and then we will begin our study in John. 678. 678. concerned about those who are sick and those who are concerned to us. And Father, we've gone through this long list of folks and we're praying that you'll bless them. We pray for Irene Baker, John Dryden, and Sandy Bonham as they face terminal cancer. We pray for Martha Eaton and Joan Mormon as they're trying to recover from injuries. And we just pray advance for them. We ask your blessings on Austin Wentz as he's going through his treatments. Bless Brian Rowland that his recovery on his foot will go well. He'll not have any more infection problems. We're thankful that Ricky Ross is doing better, and we pray your continued blessings on him. Please be with Eddie Smith as he recovers from his broken hip. 
We ask your blessings on Quitman and on Geraldine Taylor as both of them are at Landmark undergoing treatment and uh, having rehab. We pray for Philip Coates as he's hoping for normalcy with his knee again. We just pray that he'll progress every day. Bless Terry Green as he begins eight weeks of treatment. We pray that the plan is the best avenue through which he might have good health again. And we just pray the chemo is a success and will enable the possibility of the surgery he needs. We pray for Verlin Davis and for those who tend to her. Bless David Yates, who's with us tonight, that his liver troubles will be resolved and that his health will return to him. We pray for Flora Warner. We're thankful she's doing better. For Donnie and his hip replacement, we're thankful that they're on the road to recovery. Bless Pat Hoff, who's been having some heart rate issues, and Ann Stevens, who's been so very sick. We pray for Jeff Goff that his back will respond to treatments and that he'll he'll be in good shape again. Bless Stella Pittman, Pittman and her adjustments at the Meadows. We pray for Bobby Davis, who continues to have problems with a blockage. We pray that you'll protect his health until such time as he can have a procedure that'll be successful. We pray for Connie Edge and her recovery from her knee surgery. We ask your blessings on Marilyn Wilson, who had surgery today, and that it'll be a success. We ask your blessings on Milton Floyd as he has a procedure on Friday. We pray that he'll get the results that he's hoping for. We ask your comfort on the family of Al Behel. We thank you, Father, for his work and for the lives that he touched. And we pray for this family as they expect a difficult day tomorrow, but we pray comfort for all of them. We pray for Katie Jo Lindley as she battles cancer. And Father, we pray for those who are embattled right now, especially think of those who are in the Ukraine And in particular, we think of those who are members of the church who are affected by uh, this war. We pray that it will end soon and that these conflicts will be resolved. Bless us, Lord, in our study of your word that it will impact us, develop a stronger faith in your son. And not only that, but help us be so passionate about that knowledge that we'll share it with somebody else. And thank you for... Thank you for the means, your word, that makes it possible for us to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so right now we're in the section dealing with the signs in the book of John. We've looked at almost all of them, and Lord willing, we will finish that up tonight. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, we had what story? Turn the water into wine. That was Jesus' demonstration of power over quality. In chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, we had the story of what? Healing of the nobleman's son. Okay. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 18, we had another healing. Healing of the man with the infirmity, had been sick for... 38 years, so we say power over, I guess, time. The other one is 20 mile different, so it's power over distance. In chapter 6, the first 15 verses, we have what story? 
feeding of the 5,000, that one's unique because of what reason? It's act, well, it, yes, it does have to do with quantity. So that's Jesus' power of a quantity. But why is that such a unique story? Okay, it's in all the Gospels, just like the resurrection of Jesus. And you'll find it recorded in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9. So everybody, everybody covers it. That's supposed, I guess, to be the one. And then also in the same chapter, verses 16 to 21, what story do you have? Jesus walking on the water, okay? Now we started, we've almost finished, we're going to wrap that up here in just a few minutes. John chapter 9, actually it's a big section, that's why it's taking so long, verses 1 to 41, that is what story? Healing of the blind man. And then we're also going to move on to chapter 11. We're just going to look at the first 45 verses. <laughs> Actually, I guess the whole story, if you're going to wrap it and put a bow on it, would go through verse 53. But that is going to be kind of, in my opinion, is kind of the pinnacle of Jesus' miracles, and that is what? Raising of Lazarus from the dead. Okay, we're going to pick up here tonight at verse 28. So they reviled him. We're talking about the... the the young man that has been healed of his blindness. We speculated since they said, well, you know, he's of age, you ask him, he's probably at least 30. So as an adult, he speaks for himself. So they revile him. Is that good or bad? They're attacking him, right? They revile him. They say, you're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. So, you know, we're righteous, you're unrighteous. And what we're leading to is he's a sinner, and so that makes you a sinner. We know that God spoke to Moses for this fellow. We don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Who opens eyes? God does. Jesus does, but God does. God obviously is the source of this power. So it is amazing here. It's kind of his kickback on what they're saying to him. It's amazing that you don't know anything about this when obviously it has come from what source? It has come from God. So see, he's, he's, he's kind of, not only is he protecting himself, but he's kind of back on the offense. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him since the world began. It's been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now watch that. He says, here's the thing. Here's what we know. An unrighteous, ungodly man who pleaded to God to bring about sight to the blind, God would answer in what way? He would say, N-O, no. His argument is, but this guy did call out to God. He did use the power of God. He healed me. And therefore, don't you guys get it? In his place to them. Don't you guys get it? He must be what? He must be at least from God. Verse 33. If this man were not from God, what? He could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you're completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Did they have an answer to the beautiful argument that he had presented? No. So what did they do? <laughs> they attacked him. 
Um, this has been kind of fun because I'm in Lads to Leaders. I'm I'm assisting Jonathan with debate. And listen, if you do not have a good argument in a debate, you know what you do? You start yelling at people. <laughs> or you start going on the attack. It doesn't even have to make sense. All you want to do is be loud and sound like you know something. These guys have no response, right? It is obvious to everybody that a miracle empowered by God Himself has taken place. And since we can't endorse Jesus, what do we have to do? Well, you're a sinner, forget it. We're not listening to you. So Jesus heard that they had cast Him out. And when He had found Him, He said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Now, wait a minute. Has this guy ever seen Jesus before? No. So as far as he knows, this guy is what? A new acquaintance. This guy's just kind of come up and he's asked me really a deep-seated question. Do you believe in the Son of God? And so he answered and said, well, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Of course, I would believe in the Son of God, but who in the world is he? Now watch this. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him. Wait a minute, when did he see him? Just in this moment, I'm face to face with you. I've, you've seen him and what? He is he, he is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. I want you to notice this. And I tried to point it out little by little as we were going through this chapter. But do you remember what the man referred to Jesus as in verse 11? Do you remember? And it's probably capitalized in your text to, to make you understand that's Jesus he's talking about. He's, he's referred to as a man. This man, okay? In verse 17, how does he refer to him? Because he kind of steps it up a little bit after things are being revealed to him. He refers to him as a the prophet. You remember we went back to Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Moses makes that... Moses promised that this... Now everybody's kind of getting the eye. Wait a minute. This is the one that Moses was speaking of. He's the prophet. Now in verse 33, he says, he has come from where? This guy is from God. And now in verse 35, and then connect that with verse 38, he has gone from man to prophet to from God to none other than whom? Jesus, the Son of God. Did you see how that happened? And in fact, after all of the... Dis after all the I want to call it a debate which ended very poorly for those who were the religious people who should have known better. And by the way, they should have known better with all the evidence that was before them, and yet what did they do? Despite the evidence... They rejected it. They didn't just ignore it. They rejected it. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Are you talking about us? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. Okay, look at the irony that is revealed here at the end of this story. 
The blind are seeing. And the seeing are blind. That's the irony. Now, there is the literal, actual story that takes place. And then Jesus uses all of, all of what happens in this story to, to bring a metaphor clear into our minds. Did a blind man see as a result of the power of God in his life? Yes, he did. Were those who were seeing become blind because of the presence of the Son of God and the power of God in the healing of this man? Oh, yes, they did. Those Pharisees, the audience that was there every step of the way, were eyewitnesses to what had happened. Those who were the Pharisees were seeing it, and yet when they were hearing, this guy must be somebody, at least I'm convinced the blind man says he's the Son of God, but at least he's a prophet, at least he's from God. So let's all just kind of at least be able to conclude that he's from God. The Pharisees and the religious leaders said what? Even though they could see it, even though, even though they could see it with their eyes, with their spirituality, with their prejudices, even though they could clearly see, they refused it. Therefore, they are what spiritually? They are blind. Someone read for us 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Who has those verses? Okay, you know what this text is talking about. People who want to live an unrighteous life. But they also kind of want to live a religious life. So what they will do is they will blend the religious and the unrighteous and just make themselves feel good about it. And this text says, you know what? God will, will not come rushing in and change their minds about it. He will not come in and present the truth and say, wait a minute, you guys are on the wrong track. Come on back here. What that text does say, though, is that if a person like these Pharisees have so set their mind on a lie, have so determined that they are going to go on the path of righteousness, if they have set their hearts on that path and refused, as in the case of Jesus doing a miracle right there in their very presence. Undeniable truth. If a person will refuse that, then what does he say God will do? God will let them do it. In fact, He will promote it. You want to believe the lie? That's okay. I'll send you a strong delusion so that you'll even feel good about yourself in it. Because you are the one who refused to accept the truth that was so apparent. Now that is the very idea of the blind not seeing and those who are seeing becoming blind. There's actually, you can connect that with a statement that's made in the book of Exodus as well, chapter 4 and verse 11. In that text we find out that God is the one who makes the lame and the blind 
But the point of that is actually set within the context of Moses saying, oh, you know what, I'm not a good speaker, so maybe you should find somebody else to go talk to Pharaoh. There was Moses, whom God had equipped to lead the, to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, to be a people for himself, but he was refusing. So God said, you know what, I'm the one who makes people unable to speak. I'm the one who causes people to be able to, uh, to lack understanding, as eventually would be the case with Pharaoh, who had a hardened heart. In fact, the text on several occasions would say that God hardened his heart. Well, the fact is that Pharaoh had determined he wasn't going to listen to God. So you know what God says? Okay, peace. You don't want to obey. You don't want to listen. I'll let you feel good in your error, in your lack of good judgment. I will send a strong delusion. Now, as was the case with Pharaoh in his time, kind of contradicted with Moses, who now has learned his lesson, is like, okay, I acquiesce, I'll do what you say, with the help of Aaron, of course. Even down to this moment right here, if you refuse to obey or listen to what God has explicitly taught, if it has come to the part in your heart where you actually believe it, but you refuse to answer it or obey it, you know what God will do? God is not just going to stand there constantly, day after day, begging and begging and begging, and sending more and more and more of His helpers to try and convince you. If you are determined in your heart to turn away from God, God will just... Well, He'll just make it comfortable for you. Whose fault is that? That's your fault. And Jesus says, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. Because what would have happened to the blindness? You would have, you would have been able to see. But now you say, we see the Pharisees who were, who were insulted. We got it, but we reject you. You say we see, therefore your sin, what? It remains. And it is your fault if it does. Okay, so we move on. Chapter 11. We're going to just look at the first 45 verses or so. This is the crowning achievement, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And I want to just go ahead and say this. We're going to find out in this story as we go along that actually Jesus could have healed Lazarus. He had plenty of time to do it. But he decided to wait so that he would die and then he could demonstrate his resurrection power. Why would Jesus do that? Well, let me ask you this question. We've already seen several healings, haven't we? Right? Healing of the nobleman's son healing of the man that had been infirmed. We saw the healing of the blind man just now. Can Jesus heal people? Yeah, He can. But, but, and, and possibly part of the reason that some of those Pharisees would say, well, I just, I'm just not accepting it. It's because they believed that other people could work miracles. You know, they, they had seen uh, amazing things happen. Uh, people who were sick for a long time just kind of get better. You remember Moses even had a provision that if somehow or other you were able to overcome your leprosy, well, that's fine. Go present yourself to the priest. 
then they'll determine whether that's not whether that's true or not. If it is true, then here's an offering that you get. Give. It's kind of like you know, it's possible that these things could happen. Maybe you just get better. Okay, maybe someone comes along who is a skeptic and they say, you know, yeah, well, Lazarus, he was sick, but oh, that Lazarus, boy, he was a good friend of Jesus. And so, you know, I, I'm not trying to not trying to undermine the scriptures or anything, but it does seem a little fishy that he was sick. The sisters called him. Jesus shows up. He heals him. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus can heal people. What if the guy dies? You don't dispute he's dead. Oh, he was dead for one day. And well, you know, actually, uh, we know about you can get bit by a certain insect and it slows down your heart rate and you're better the next day. Whoa, resurrection? No. This guy is dead in the tomb for four days and he stinks. Is he dead or not dead? He is dead. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus, good friend of Jesus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Bethany was a small town. It's on the way, actually, it's on Mount, the Mount of Olives, okay? It's on the Mount of Olives. It's about two miles east of Jerusalem on the way to Jericho, okay? Little small town, easy to get to. When you, when you read the full complement of scriptures related to Bethany and Jesus, kind of get the idea that this is the place where Jesus went just kind of relax. Kick back with some friends away from the crowds and just recharge. So, Jesus close to these people or what? Nod your head this way. Yeah, they're very close. And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. And I'm thinking, yeah, I remember that story. I remember that, for instance, those particular details from Matthew chapter 26 and verse 7. Oh, but wait a minute, hold the presses. If you've already read through the book of John, what did you find in chapter 12, verse 3? Actually, the event that he's describing happens in the very next chapter. Question, why does he mention it now before it actually happens chronologically in the very next chapter? Why did he do that? Okay. Uh, exact, exactly right. Uh, Adam, Adam says, wait a minute, he's, he's writing about things that had already happened. What also has happened is the book of John is written, oh, how close to Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Uh, quite a while after, maybe a couple of generations later. So people have been reading the accounts, well, Matthew and Mark, Mark in chapter 14. Matthew and Mark actually talk about this event. So they've heard about that already, right? And John's going to cover it as it fits kind of in the chronology of the events that he's covering in the passion of Jesus toward, toward his crucifixion. However, he wants to go ahead, since we're talking about that household, and say, oh, by the way, that story I'm going to tell you here in a moment is a story you have read before. Remember that woman by the name... Same name here, Martha, who was the one that took the oil and washed the feet with her hair. That, that's the household that we're talking about. 
or, or Mary. Mary's the one. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Uh, what kind of sickness do you suppose at this point they think he has? I don't mean specifically, I mean generally. Terminal, yeah. I mean, they're not caught. Hey, he's got a cold, Lord, if you happen to be in the area, come on. No, th they know this is bad. It's terminal. Call for Jesus. Because Jesus can do what? He can heal you of your sickness, absolutely. When Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In other words, He doesn't have to die, but He is going to die. He's going to die for what purpose? To glorify God. In chapter 9, at verse 3, when we were talking about the blind man, uh, what, what did the text tell us there about his situation? Why was he uh, going to be healed? Same reason, wasn't it? We're going to bring glory to God through this. Now, he is a blind man, and I could have overlooked him like I've overlooked lots of people. However, I'm going to use this occasion in order to heal and demonstrate the glory of God. That's one thing. In this case, Jesus absolutely, deliberately lets this guy die for one reason. For the glory of God. Now, could Jesus for instance, have used this illness to the glory of God just by going there early and healing it. Yes, sure, but what did we already know? What is more impactful to you? A physical healing or somebody being raised from the dead? The latter, right? Okay. Jesus loved, and that's the word agapaho. It's the expansion of the word agape. That's our word, right? That's our love word. That's that love that we give. We don't expect anything in return. Jesus is here. Jesus is acting on everybody's benefit, but not, not just to the ultimate benefit of those. He's like, you people know. That, I think that's why this word is used. Agapeho, agape. You already know how much I love you. You already know that I would do what's ever necessary in order to care for you. But be patient with me because this thing isn't going to go the way you expect. So Jesus is trusting that through this, well, what will eventually be because of their expectation, a trial, he is going to demonstrate his glory without ever offending them. I don't think Jesus would have done this for just anybody. But he does this because he loves them and they what? And they love him too. So he loved them. It, um, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Why did he do that? Make sure he's, make sure he's good and dead. Okay, go wait two more days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Last time we were in Judea, what happened? Uh, John chapter 8, verse 59. They picked up stones, going to stone him, right? So we go back there and those... This has just been a few days. What's going to happen, we think? Going to get grand reception? Things are cool. Good, they love me there. No, they want to finish the job. So the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Yeah, they did. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. We're hitting that again, right? Exactly right. We did it when we healed the blind man. Now we're getting light again. 
He walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because it has a lot of light. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Wait, what? Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, you know, if he's just sleeping, he'll get, he'll get well, get well on his own. However, Jesus spoke of his death, the, the sleep of death. But they thought that he was speaking about talking, rest, and sleep. I just want to insert right here this question. Are these guys on a track of misunderstanding? Nod your head this way. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they're always on that track. Jesus is kind of like one of those rows, uh, railroad conductors that has to change the track constantly to get these guys thinking right. So Jesus said to them plainly, you know, I'm not going to not going to talk in metaphors now. I, I'm going to be as plain as I can be about this. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Oh, they'd have believed if he'd have been there and healed him. But he's like, I'm going to show you something you hadn't seen before. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, we often call Thomas what? Doubting Thomas. I don't like that. Thomas is somebody who don't just take your word for it. I want the facts, right? And I know some facts. And by the way, I know that the last time we were in Jerusalem, they wanted to stone us to death. So what better conclusion than this? He says to the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, he's being a little bit sarcastic, isn't he? Jesus wants to go, well, okay, let's go, because they'll stone us to death too. Ha ha, the band of merry men. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So when you died as a Jew, they did their dead level best, pun intended, to get you in the tomb before sundown. There would be a washing, there would be a wrapping with linen, and then they would saturate you, cover you with spices. What are the spices for, you think? Yeah, it's kind of forestall uh, the smell as much as possible to, before the processes go. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mar Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So there were seven days of mourning, which we're in the middle of right now. After that, there would be 30 more days of what you would call a lighter period of mourning. But we're right in the middle of that. Why? Well, he's been dead a while now. He's been dead four days. And there's no doubt about it. He's not coming back, quote unquote, we think. So Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What's she doing to Jesus? She's kind of rebuking him. Like, you know, I called for you, friend. And if you'd have come, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. In fact, I'm here, you know, I'm, in, and by the way, in the list of names, uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, who came first? Martha. Who's the oldest in this family? Most likely Martha, because she's listed first. And so we got Lazarus dead. Well, Martha's come out to meet Jesus. What, what's the deal? And by the way, where is Jesus not? He's not at the house. 
right? He didn't go to the house like those other others did to bring comfort and all that. Jesus isn't on the way to the house. Jesus is on the way to the tomb. Wow! So she's like, what in the world if you'd have been here? But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. What is her mind when she says, even now? What is she saying? I still have hope. You know, even now, after four days dead, I'm with you, Lord. I, I know that you've come uh, not in vain. Well, we've got to stop right now. So we'll stop right there at verse 22, and we'll pick up next week. Thank you for your attention.
you are here tonight. I always love Wednesday evenings when everybody's lively and they're talking and it seems like they're just glad to be here. And It's just encouraging to assemble on Wednesday night to study God's Word. and uh, It's just, I think, extraordinary that uh, we can do this and be uplifted like we are. And we're so glad that you're here tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. I have a couple of announcements that I need to emphasize tonight. First of all, pick up your bulletin tonight if you've not done so, and that'll have an accurate uh, sort of up-to-date list of those who are sick, so please remember that. I want to emphasize our annual Easter egg hunt that is set for this Sunday uh, following our morning worship. This is for all children, sixth grade and below. Older kids are going to help hide eggs. Salt Team 3 will serve... Uh, lunch hunters and their families. That's, that should be egg hunters, shouldn't it? Well, I'll be hunting lunch, but anyhow. So uh, they're going to serve uh, lunch to the hunters and their families, and I hope you'll make your plans to be a part of that. Everybody is asked to bring uh, some side items, finger foods like uh, chips and dip and vegetable trays and so forth, finger desserts. Uh, all members are asked to help by bringing candy stuffed plastic eggs prior to the hunt. We need your help in that and place those in the barrel in the foyer. So I hope we're looking forward to that this coming Sunday. Also, I want to go ahead and put a plug in for our Living with Loss workshop that's scheduled for April the 30th on Friday and Saturday, May 1st. Uh, this is going to be a series of lessons presented by Brother Dean Miller about marriage and loss. But this workshop is going to be very beneficial for not only widows and widowers, but for married couples and those who want to maybe minister uh, more fully to uh, those who have suffered loss. And on the various tables throughout the building, you'll find an advertisement. You're welcome to take those with you and uh, pass those out to people that you think would be interested in coming. Uh, because there's nothing more more powerful than a personal invitation. So be sure and take these with you. And uh, that's here in just about three and a half or so weeks from now. So we need to really work to be uh, what, doing what we can to invite people to come. Our food pantry item uh, this week is mac and cheese. Please remember that. For our devotional tonight, Ken, uh, Ken Scott's going to be leading our singing. Brother J.T. Beard will lead our minds in prayer. Good evening. <clears throat> if you will, take your hymn books and mark them at 911, 9-11. This will be your song at the proper time. If you now turn your hymn books to 570. 570.
In Psalms 142, verse 4, the psalmist made a very sad statement. He said, no man cared for my soul. Isn't it sad to think about somebody who actually feels like that nobody cares about me? Do you know of people that maybe feel that way? Perhaps some even here tonight have actually felt that way. You've actually felt that nobody really cares about me. Nobody cares what happens to me. That's a sad situation for a person to be in. But you know, we need to realize tonight that there are those that do care. And we need to be the kind of people as Christians that let others know who may feel that way that there are folks who do care. Maybe you need to realize tonight that there are folks who care. I think about the fact Christians ought to care. The Bible says that we need to do good unto all men, Galatians 6 and verse 10. You know, we live in a time where our population in this world is greater than it ever has been. And yet, loneliness is now greater than it ever has been in the history of the world. People are lonely. People are looking for somebody. Many people sadly feel like nobody cares and we need to be like that good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 who saw somebody in need and put forth the effort to help that individual. But not only do Christians care, but preachers care. Paul said that Timothy cared for others in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. We read about how Paul himself was a caring preacher of tender sympathies over in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 7 and 8. But I don't think anybody cares probably more than elders care. Elders are shepherds over the flock of God and the local church. And I can assure you that our elders care about you. I've seen them pray for you. I've heard the words come forth from their mouth about their care and their concern. But perhaps most of all, God cares for you. God in his amazing love sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross because he cares for you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 that God cares for you. But you know the real question might, maybe isn't tonight who cares, but maybe the question is do you care? Do you care enough about your eternal destiny? Do you tonight care enough about your eternal well-being that you would be willing to trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ? Of course, that initially involves obeying the gospel, an obedient faith that is willing to repent and to confess the name of Jesus and to be immersed in water for the remission of sins, you need to care enough tonight about your own eternal well-being that you would make sure that you're in a right relationship with God. And so tonight, please understand that people do care about you. God cares about you. But you also need to care about yourself. 
Tonight, if you need to respond to heaven's call, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. blessings of life, especially for this beautiful day that's been ours to enjoy and for the opportunity to once again to come together to worship you, to study your word, and to uh, reacquaint ourselves with brothers and sisters we haven't seen in a couple of three days. And we're thankful for the association with everyone here at the Boonville Church. We're thankful for the, the way that everyone gets along with each other and the camaraderie that exists. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to be with us, that we might always have the right attitude toward each other. We are thankful, Father, for those that have taught tonight. We pray that you would continue to give them good health, that they would continue to be able to teach for many years to come. We're thankful for the elders here at the Boomville Church. We pray, Father, you would be with them. We know that they... Uh, have decisions that they need to make from time to time. Those decisions concern souls of, of people not only here in the Boonville area, but sometimes people throughout uh, the whole world. And we pray, Father, you would give them wisdom, help them to make the decisions that would cause the church to grow worldwide. We again bring up those that are sick, those that are suffering, those that have lost loved ones. We pray, Father, that you would be with them and continue to care for them as only you can. We pray that you would go with us with your part, forgive us when we do wrong, and help us to live better. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. <laughs> 